Hi, I'm Grayson Willis. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Join us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like and follow our page while you're there. Please take time to subscribe for updates and new episodes to this podcast. You can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. One of the things that has struck me this week knowing how this would be this morning, was a sense of what a privilege it is to be together. Um, Maybe that's something we lost over time, but we're feeling it this morning, the privilege to be together as a family and worship and be and be the church. Uh, I invite you to stay on. Don't click away before the very end of the service today, because at the end, we're going to join together and we're going to make some declarations and some proclamations about how we need the Lord and his complete ability to be trusted in this time. So stick with us all the way through, and we're going to be in Mark 14 to start. Um, But I, I, I want to start by focusing on something curious that Jesus did. Now, we've heard about it so often that it's not curious to us. But it really was something unusual when it happened and for what it was. And I want to start there in Mark 14, 32 uh, through 34. Uh, This is, of course, Jesus nearing his crucifixion. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. I've always thought the space between verse 32 and 33 is an interesting space, and you see it indicated by the star, Jesus is with what now is his 11, and uh, the end is near, and all heaven is about to break loose, and they approach this grove of olives, and he gathers them, and then he says at the end of 32, sit here while I pray. He doesn't say anything next, but in verse 33 it says, He took Peter, James, and John. Did he say anything? What was that about? Did did he speak to them? Did he gesture? Did he nod? How were they to know that they were to leave the main group and stay with him? Maybe he didn't need to say anything. Maybe the four of them were so close that they knew they weren't leaving each other in this time. I shared this story once, not going with this point. I shared this story with a brand new believer, uh, a student at school who had come to the Lord and was uh, sort of talking to me about it. And that struck him. I remember him saying, why would he drag them with him? If ever there was a time when you'd think Jesus would say, you guys go home. This isn't going to be pretty. He didn't. He kept them close. 
when we would have understood him being independent Messiah at this moment, he wanted them close. I think biblically you can make the case that he needed them close. Of all the people, of all the beings who ever lived on earth who could have easily justified independence, he chose connection. What do we get from that in this moment? Because clearly it's sitting there for us to see. Now, sometimes we read past it because we've read it so much, but what was this about? That's where we are today. This is part three in our series called Drifting. It's based on Hebrews 2. And what we're focused on now is what happens to us when subtle changes occur, when we lose our intentionality, when we lose our urgency. We're not talking about falling, a sudden crash in this series. We're talking about the slow fade Casting crowns, people never crumble in a day. We're talking about not a dramatic fall, but kind of slip sliding away imperceptibly. Uh, George Barner wrote this book called The Frog in the Kettle. Uh, the purpose of the book was to prepare Christians for life in the 21st century. And the title, The Frog in the Kettle, comes from this idea about how you might kill a frog. I know that seems odd, but that's what it's based on. This is the way it works. If you have a frog, I, I'm not suggesting you have a frog, but if you had a frog and you threw it in boiling water, it would do everything in its power to get out because it would, that's dangerous and harmful. But if you put the same frog in room temperature water, and just slowly and imperceptibly raise the temperature, the frog would stay there until it was a, a former frog. That's this notion of drifting, where things change subtly, imperceptibly. We lack intentionality, we lack urgency, and the end is near. So I guess the question this series asks, drifting, is what's your water temperature? What's the temperature where you are right now? Debbie McDaniel writes about drifting. She writes, it can happen to us. Sometimes it happens before we realize what's occurred. We don't plan it. Lulled by the slow pull away, swayed by other things, we start deeming more important. We wake up one day and realize things seem different. We're in a place we never intended to go. Drifting happens. Sometimes out of busyness, sometimes out of hurt, sometimes because things are bad, sometimes because things are good, sometimes because we're overwhelmed, sometimes because it's hard to forgive and move forward, and often because we begin to stumble. The enemy waits for one wrong move. Sin crouches, ready to devour, as we head down a slippery slope. We can't find a foothold and begin to lose our way. By definition, to drift means a continuous, slow movement from one place to another. It takes us unaware. It's the natural process that occurs when we lose our bearings. 
and stop moving in the right direction. And one thing is sure, it rarely happens because we intend it to. So in part one of this series, Pastor Adrian talked to us about the nature of drifting, what it is, how it happens. And he said, according to God's design, if you're standing still, you're drifting. Last week, he focused on one result of drifting, and that is a misuse of technology, where we lose our way slowly over time, and pretty soon we don't have technology Technology has us. And he said last week, we don't have a technology problem, we have a worship problem. And so this morning we're on part three, and today our focus is on our drift into isolation. We don't realize it, but for many reasons we begin to lose our grip on community, our hold on each other. And before we know it, we're alone. I want to present a definition of isolation uh, so you're not confused about what I'm talking about, especially in this day and age. Isolation. It's to become spiritually and emotionally disconnected from God or community so that secrets grow and spiritual growth stops. An isolated life is one in which secrets grow and growing stops. There's more hiding, there's less healing. You are unknowable, unaccountable, invulnerable, dishonest. You're isolated. And before you run away with this, you can be isolated in a group. You can come to church every Sunday and be isolated. You can be an extrovert and be isolated. If you don't understand isolation, understand the opposite of isolation, which biblically is koinonia, community, but it's more than community. It's an interlocking of souls. The opposite of that is to be isolated. Or maybe the opposite of isolation is is Jesus, the one who carefully and intentionally and right before our eyes kept his brothers close. In his hour of need, they were there and he made sure of it. I learned about the dangers of isolation. We all all know the reason drifting happens is because if we knew all of a sudden we were going to be isolated, we wouldn't, we'd do things to avoid it. But we drift into it and we know what its dangers are. And I've known the dangers of isolation since I was a little kid. Before I knew the Lord, before I knew what koinonia was or what New Testament community was, I knew the dangers of isolation because I watched Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Now, I realized, I did a quick survey, and I realized the only people who remember Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom are at least 80. So I'm not suggesting that you remember it, but I remember it as a kid, and I remember it because of hyenas and wildebeests. Um, There was a show, Marlon Perkins was the host, and he would share his adventures in the wild. And the one that struck me most were the episodes with the hyenas and the wildebeests. I wasn't even sure what a wildebeest was, but I grew to love wildebeests because I felt sorry for them. If you saw the scene with the hyenas and the wildebeest herd, you knew exactly what was going to happen. 
And everybody listening to me, I don't even have to tell you what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. The herd of hyenas is going to approach the herd of wildebeest. They're going to separate out one of the wildebeests, a weak wildebeest, a young wildebeest, a slow wildebeest, an unattractive wildebeest, whatever the standard was. They were going to separate it out. And once they had the individual wildebeest separated out, you knew what was coming next. It seemed like the hyenas were focused on that one thing. Separate wildebeest, eat wildebeest. And I don't know what the wildebeest plan was, but they needed a different one. And in fact, I wrote a paper. I was so upset about what happened to wildebeest that I wrote a paper in Mr. Buckley's sixth grade class. He told us to make an argument about something. And I remember I wrote, the wildebeest need a better plan. The wildebeest plan seemed to be, be dinner. And so we all know the dangers of separation. It hurts us. It is dangerous to you to drift into isolation. You can be wounded and hurt isolated. And that's an acceptable analogy, but I don't even think that's the most important point. I don't think that's the most important reason for community. In fact, there are two arguments, I think, that are more important against isolation than just you're risking your life. The first uh, comes from Ephesians 4.15 and following. Paul is writing about the church and us as community. And he uses the term body to describe us. We are together Christ's body. And so he begins this teaching, Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here's the first big problem with a drift to isolation. When we disconnect we violate the very design of God. It is His purpose. It is from His. He is building something. He is. God of the universe is building something. And to isolate is to be disconnected from that and in fact, to attack it. If you want to know why this disconnect is so damaging, all you have to do is keep reading. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. I bet you can guess what that Greek word, apolatraeo, also means, separated. It also means isolated. It also means alienated. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. That's, that's a much more important problem to being isolated. You being at risk is important and he has a heart for you and he cares about you and I care about you but there's something more important. To be isolated is to violate the very design of God for his community in this time. 
to be isolated, to be alienated, to be separated. So some are joined and held together, the Bible says. Joined and held together, and some are separated. Which one are you? Someone said to me this week, (laughs) pretty rough week to talk about isolation, isn't it? Aren't we all supposed to be isolated? And I said, I, I think actually it's the perfect time to talk about isolation because we've never been so aware of it. We've never been so sensitive to the fact that we are isolated and must do something to overcome it. Like right now. Like right in this moment, you in your living room or your kitchen or your den or your car, wherever you are, working to overcome isolation. I think it's a wonderful time to talk about isolation because we're so aware of it. We're so uh, sensitive to its dangers that even though we're sheltering in our homes and even though we're following the rules, we're thinking of ways to connect. Our generational ministries pastor, uh, Olivia Michael, is in quarantine for two weeks uh, because she returned from an overseas missions trip last week, and so she's feeling fine, uh, but she's in quarantine, and she's part of our Engaged from Home resource that Pastor Adrian mentioned earlier, and I'm going to show you uh, a clip from the video she posted on Engaged from Home, and if you're thinking of practical applications, if you're thinking of what do I do not to be isolated. If you're thinking of the the application of this message, I couldn't say it much better than Olivia does here. On my list of things to do every day, um, of course, is spend time in the Word. That's number one. Um, And so this isn't outside of the realm of what's normal for my life. Um, But over these next two weeks, I am intentionally spending time in my Bible with God, um, asking him to speak to me, to give me wisdom as I navigate um, what it looks like to be in quarantine. Um, And I'm praying that that proves to be fruitful over these next two weeks. Um, So yeah, secondly, I every day am planning to worship. Now that will probably look different um, as my time goes on each day, but Really, so far, I've just been turning on my worship playlist and worshiping in my kitchen. And, um, you know, that has been so helpful to me. If I'm honest with you guys, this morning I woke up and I wasn't feeling great about this. I was honestly ready for it to be done. And I'm only on day three um, out of 14. So I needed some an attitude adjustment or a mood change, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I didn't, I didn't want to worship. I, I wasn't feeling joyful, but I knew that I knew that I had to, I knew that I had to be in the word, go to the source. Um, so I did that. I spent time in the word. I turned on my worship and let me tell you guys, it totally changed my mindset, changed my outlook. But now I want to talk to you a little bit about how I'm connecting with my people, with my family and my friends. Um, This in a lot of ways is a little bit harder because it's a lot easier to connect with your people when you're in the room with them, but that's not a reality for me right now. Um, And so I wanna share with you one thing that I'm doing 
that I think is actually helping me in this area of connection. So I've decided to put social media aside from eight to three every single day, which might seem strange since that seems like a really natural way to connect, but here's what I'm learning. I can post a story on Instagram and feel connection when I see someone watch it. Or I can read a post on Facebook about someone else in quarantine and feel connection when I relate to their struggle, but that's, that's not real connection. That's not authentic connection. And so by putting down the social media, it gives me more space in my life to pick up the phone, to make a phone call to a family member or to FaceTime a friend. You see, by putting down the surface level connection, I'm able to engage in the most authentic form of connection that I can in this time, which is hearing someone's voice, seeing their face, um, and just maintaining my relationships those ways because I can't leave my house. Perfect example. I find it interesting that uh, secular psychologists, when diagnosing isolation, look for exhaustion. That was interesting to me. And it brought me back to a time when I drifted to isolation. You know what, this is going to be sad, but I was in full-time ministry and drifted to isolation. Uh, I would be away doing the Lord's work night after night after night after night. And I had a young family, and I justified it in saying, well, it's ministry stuff. Man, it didn't take long, six months, eight months. I turned around and realized I was disconnected. I was out of fellowship. I was invulnerable, unknowable, dishonest. And I was in full-time ministry. I remember that. I, it took a while to recover. It takes a lot of intentionality. It takes a lot of urgency. To stay connected, to stay in community, requires intentionality and sacrifice and love. I remember waking up and realized it was like I, was, like I wasn't saved. It felt that sense. There's another thing. I suggested that, yes, being isolated is dangerous, um, being the wildebeest. I suggested that that's not the most important reason not to be isolated. The most important reason not to be isolated is because it violates the very plan and design of God. And there's one other. There's one other. When you are in Christ, you're part of something bigger than you are. You are joined and held together, locking arms with people beside you. And in, Paul says it in Romans 12, we belong to each other. We belong to each other. In Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I belong to us. You belong to us. I don't have rights to isolation. I have responsibility to my brothers and sisters. Sarah Kinzer writes, consider the experience of plugging your phone in and going to bed at night and waking up in the morning, picking up your phone, only to find it hasn't charged at all. You check the connection on the phone end, and it seems good. 
But as you move the cord, the charger port falls out out of the outlet because it had become loosened from the wall. Not so loose that you noticed the night before. Not so loose that it didn't look plugged in, but loose enough to render it ineffective and loose enough that it barely takes any nudge at all to completely knock it out. And unless the port is plugged back in, the phone will continue to drain battery until it is entirely dead. There are Christians who say, this is my church, and yet don't attend regularly. They don't serve, they don't give, they don't study the word, they don't go out on mission. Their connection to the church, to the faith, to Christ is tenuous at best and ineffective at worst. It will take very little nudge at all to make it apparent to all that they have drifted, have disconnected, and have lost all charge. The great news is that the opportunity is still open to reconnect, to come back, not to an entity, but to your faith and to your community. And your Savior and your community are waiting and welcoming your return. Our pastor says there's no substitute for the church being the church. And has there ever been a time that that's not more poignant and powerful? There is power and beauty and force in the church being the church, in community being community, in us belonging to us, not isolated, but together. Maybe those boys knew, there's no way we're leaving you. There's no way. Maybe nothing needed to be said. We're together. I remembered a beautiful example of community. You probably remember it too, it's from a few years back. There was a teacher named Ben Ellis and uh, he was diagnosed with cancer and on one uh, particular opportunity, he was a teacher in high school. The whole high school showed up and worshiped on his front lawn and I thought, wow, that is a beautiful example of everyone, of we belong to each other. So I was looking into the story, and I, I learned that there's a little more to the story, and so I thought I'd uh, share that with you. Have you all seen It's Gone Viral? This is a wonderful story. Um, it's unfortunate that somebody and many of us that we know, we know people who are going through cancer. And so there was a, a man who's going through that, and then 450 students at a faculty at a high school in the Nashville area, they decide to go to his home and to sing to him. Take a look at this. how moved he yeah. was, how moved all of us are yeah. by that. And we did get the chance to catch up with Mr. Ellis. Here's what he had to say about the moment. It overwhelmed me that God would fill that many students with that much love. In that moment, I felt like I was not alone. Not alone. You he are was not really alone. loved. And we're joined now by the headmaster at Christ Presbyterian Academy in Nashville. Also, Nate Morrow, his name is, and the teacher's daughter, Betsy Ellis, are joining <laughs> us right now. And, and, and Nate, just tell us how this whole idea came about. Well, Ben is a man who loves like Jesus loves, first of all. He loves lavishly, he loves intentionally, and he has taught us all how to love better. And so through this fight, worship has been a place of peace for him. 
It's been a place he's found joy and worshiping and praising in community. And so last week, um, we got some hard news about his treatment options. And our high school principal, Parker Altman, called me last Wednesday morning and said, Nate, I want to take the high school to Ben's house. And I want to go worship with him. Mm. And I want to do it now. Can we do that? And I simply said, let's go. And uh, it was a moment um, where we got to all be a part of love and action that was probably one of the greatest lessons that I know I and I think all of us will have ever learned, and it didn't happen in the classroom that day. Mm. And, mm -hmm. sir, you know full well that oftentimes those in high school are accused of only thinking about themselves, mm -hmm. but this was so selfless, and that had to, I know, meant so much to Mr. Ellis and to, to others there to see them not think of themselves, but of him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I think that was just a reflection back to Ben, what he's meant to us. I mean, he is a guy who in the hallway, in the classroom, everywhere he goes, he pursues people and never thinks of himself. And I think that was just a way that um, we could love him back. Bessie, how was it for you to see all your friends and classmates <laughs> behind you right there serenade your dad? It was so special. And it was amazing because we didn't, necessarily serenade him we got to worship with him and especially because of how important worship has been for my dad and my family through this whole journey it was just so amazing and special to get to worship with him again and I knew that I had 450 plus people who are walking beside me and who love me and it was just a beautiful picture of the body of Christ for me and Betsy do your friends behind you that they have a message for your dad this morning we do, we do. Students. Love you, Dad. First time I first time I saw that, she says, I love you, Dad. And my knees went weak, literally. And I showed it to you because it's a beautiful picture of community, and because I wanted to make this point. What if you drift into isolation and you, in your distance from God, miss a need of someone right next to you? What if you're connected to community because God needs you? You, you don't know he doesn't. I can assure you he does. That's the biblical argument. So that's why I showed it. But then the assistant principal said something, and I'm editing the video, and... What did he just say about Ben? Scrubbed it back. He said, he pursues people. I don't know if you caught it. It's on YouTube. You can watch it again. He pursues people. I can't think of a more beautiful way to describe someone in community. I want to be a people pursuer. I want to be intentional and urgent not to drift, but to be connected, to be in community, to pursue people. And I hope you do too. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We're going to close. We're going to close thinking about the Lord. People are in, I know people are in difficult situations, all kinds of difficult situations. Our lives have been turned upside down. But do you know that while the Lord cares about you, he is not worried about you? Do you realize that a year ago, five years ago, when you were conceived, 
he knew this time would come and he knew he would hold you in this time. One of my favorite texts in the scriptures from Isaiah 40, 11. He carries his lambs in his arms and holds them close to his heart. Isaiah 40, 11. He carries his lambs in his arms and holds them close in his arms. He is holding you close. Maybe you could hear his heartbeat if you listened. I always marvel at David talking to his soul. He does it a lot in the Psalms. Don't be troubled, my soul. Lift up the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And so let's close the service. Pastor Adrian is going to come afterward. But let's go out speaking and declaring things to our souls. And as we close worshiping together, you're in a unique situation that you're not usually in. I, I, you're in a comfortable setting, I assume. Uh, there's nobody around you that you care about. You're not, I mean, there are people around you that you care about, you just don't care what they think. You're completely free to express yourself in whatever way you might not express yourself if you were in a crowd or a congregation on Sunday morning. Take advantage of it. So, worship. Plug in, speak to your soul, and then as we worship together, I'd like you to lift up whoever happens to be geographically closest to you and also is watching on Facebook. You may not know who that is, but just tell the Lord, that's who I'm praying for. Whoever is closest to me physically and is also online, lift that person up. Let's close together proclaiming truth to our souls. Thanks again for listening today. If you have any questions about the church, please email us at info at abeaconofhope.org. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.